Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. The future is coming. Make it brighter with Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easy to turn your idea into a unique website, which is why I use it to make every website I work on, and I have made a lot of websites. You can showcase your work, blog or publish content, sell products, make a podcast, and just do that in a few clicks. You can customize everything from the look and feel to settings and products using beautiful templates created by world-class designers, and there's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code CWO to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A distraught mother, an Irish killer, an FBI team running out of time. <gasps> Number one New York Times bestselling author Catherine Coulter's latest blockbuster FBI thriller, Enigma, presents agents Savage and Sherlock in a mystery of a man called John Doe. Enigma by Catherine Coulter, now in trade paperback, wherever books are sold. <laughs> I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about other podcasts and also about true crime, pop culture, journalism, and this week, the extravagant British-American series McMafia, in which high finance meets organized crime. We'll talk a little bit about the gripping new book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark, published posthumously by Michelle McNamara, and Podcast Madness Rolls On, the little podcast that could has made the Elite Eight and we have a chance to go to the final four. So joining me to dive into all of that and a whole lot more tonight is my true crime co-author, real life husband, and the only guy I'd let put sunscreen on my back. That's not true. Kevin Flynn. Oh, Hello, no, Kevin. That, wait, that better be true. <laughs> I want to see the list. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, licensed private investigator, former defense investigator, and roller coaster fashion model, <laughs> Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello. Yes. The uh, quiet river ride wasn't exactly just a river ride. Um, <laughs> turned out to be a little bit of an 85 foot drop. So yes, uh, the things you do for your kids, people. Laura Bricker, <laughs> just I don't want to get like so far down the rabbit hole, but you have to tweet out that photo uh, after this show drops so our listeners can see or put it on our Facebook group what we're talking about. You were, yes. as I because you are not like a big person. You were like no. probably, and I was like, Laura is scared fat in that photo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't expect that it was a drop and we're going along and looking at these like fake dinosaurs in the Jurassic Park thing. And all of a sudden it starts like click, click, click going straight up. And I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and I'm like, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I thought I was doing. And so, yes, I look like I'm crying. I think I might have been crying, in fact. It looks like you really got flattened sideways by your own fear. It's pretty hilarious. (laughs) And finally with with us is the acclaimed novelist behind the City Trilogy and the only one of the four of us who actually knows how a tournament bracket is supposed to work, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Dosvidanya. Ooh, a little Russian to go with our McMafia theme tonight, right? Absolutely. It's very impressive. Well, one quick piece of podcast business. Uh, Next week, we are going to be talking about Seven Seconds, uh, the Netflix series. I just want to give our listeners a heads up on that in case you want to check out that series before we talk about it and review it. Of course, you don't have to. It's not homework. It's just what we're going to be talking about next week. All right. And um, I just want to do like a tiny bit of catching up because we had a week off last week. Toby, how was your week off from podcast world? Did you survive without us? Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was the only person who wasn't doing anything. I was just here. That's true. You didn't go on any roller coasters. 
didn't do any roller coasters, <laughs> didn't didn't hit the islands, didn't go swimming in the ocean. You didn't yeah, have any uh, just... adventures in mansplaining like I did, uh, which we got into in this week's episode of Married with Podcast. For our Stitcher Premium members, go to stitcherpremium.com slash crime if you want to sign up. We talked about adventures in mansplaining, yes. A little incident. It was a minor incident. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't mansplained. No, it wasn't Kevin. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. Kevin. <laughs> All right. Well, we did get some very surprising news, both while we were on vacation and then when we returned from vacation. Mm-hmm. Not only did we advance past round two of the Discover Pods podcast madness bracket. Crime Town. We beat Crime Town, which we thought we had no chance of beating. Right. And then we were up against Criminal. We, we were like. definitely had no chance. And we beat Criminal. And we are now in the elite <laughs> Eight, Can you, yes, uh, of the podcast madness bracket. Let me just read to you. Kevin Goldberg, who runs Discover Pods, posted a very quick blog today, mm-hmm. and I'll just read you an excerpt. He said, um, "Did you know that by the Elite Eight round, there are only supposed to be one and two seeds remaining? In Podcast Madness, we have exactly one of these top seeds left." S Town. S Town. Guess who we are up against in this round? In the Elite Eight. Yes, we're up against S Town. If we beat S Town, we go to the final four. We're literally against the best podcast that's come out in the last three years. No, but guys, this is it. It it isn't really us. This isn't the Oscars, right? Right, right. This really is about what people are doing. Right. There's nothing we're doing except maybe asking people to vote. You guys out there are voting. Right. This is, uh, I'm not pandering. This is really your victory. Right. Because if you're getting together (laughs) and you're like essentially like mobilizing and sending a message. All right. Can I read the next sentence? Yeah, go for it. Okay. Indeed, we have two double-digit seeds. I guess we're double. I guess we're at least ten or. And I'm. I think we're twelve. I think Toby guessed we were probably twelve. And I'm ready to crown this year's Cinderella story, says Kevin Goldberg. Crime writers on. Yeah. And then he goes on to say, after berating my feed with a "nobody believes in us" mentality, their path to the elite eight has been nothing short of impressive. After dismantling the captain and True Crime Garage in the first round, they took down Crime Town, who beat Atlanta Monster, and then wiped the floor with three seed <laughs> criminal. Thank goodness. I can't believe it. Toby, what is our equivalent? Like our performance in this tournament bracket? Like, what is the basketball, the college basketball team that's like done something like what we're doing right now in this bracket? We might be hearkening back to George Mason back in the uh, <laughs> early aughts. Yeah, I don't know. Like Kevin was saying, the weird thing about it is we're actually not doing much of anything. It's <laughs> the fact that we have a devoted and active and motivated crime writers nation yeah. is uh, rising yeah. to the challenge. So I have a question for you in terms of like bracket tournaments, Toby. Like, is this the point yes. at which a team, like the fans get really excited and the team really thinks like they could go all the way? And this is the point at which they always get knocked out, you right? Choke, <laughs> Yeah, no, this has happened to me quite a few times. You get like <laughs> so nervous before like the upcoming game that you feel kind of nauseous. Yeah. And then it becomes evident pretty pretty early on that you're not going to win. And then just, you know. So you don't think we have a chance against the greatest podcast that's come out in the last three years, Estelle? Oh, no. No, I think we, we've got a chance. Survive in advance. All right. I think so only because, look, none of these other podcasts, are, I think, are asking their audience to do anything. Well, not being Maybe as... they don't care. And Estelle isn't even active. Do they even active, know yeah. that they're nominated? I mean, that's my... Probably not. But this is the amazing thing. You've got this great podcast. Where they podcast don't care. From we w- care a lot. Yeah. You've got this great podcast from This American Life. Yep. And it, it's got a lot of resources. And it's a beautiful podcast. We've all said that. Mm-hmm. But it's eight episodes. And people aren't still listening to it over and over again. Brian Reed isn't begging for votes. Brian Reed, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, what have we done for you lately? That's you know? true. That's true. Well, I will but say. Can we say, like, super thank you. Thank oh you to my everybody. God. Our fans are the best. So right now the challenge is we have to beat S-Town. <laughs> I can't believe you're saying that. If we have to beat S-Town. I think, I think if we beat S-Town, we could win this whole damn thing. Well, I think if we beat S-Town, we're probably going to like then lose to somebody that like no one has ever heard of is the way that it usually goes, right? It'd, it'd be us and- Who's still in this thing? <laughs> Isn't Black Tapes still Black in? Black Tapes is still in it, oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, yeah. God. This is making me really nervous now. All right. Well, let's just see what happens. Let's roll the dice. 
So we ask you again <laughs> for your vote. <laughs> we it's, put the link right in the show go? notes. Yeah, but Just if, put it right in the show notes. It's discoverpods.com. You can see the bracket tournament post right there. And also, Kevin, you put the link right in our show notes, right? Absolutely. Elite eight. All right. Elite eight. At least we're elite. At least we're elite. <laughs> and then maybe we can be final. All right, Kevin, can you please read this for me? True crime update. Laura Bricker. There's a fun piece of news related to a true crime documentary that we watched a while back. And I'm wondering if you can fill the panel in on what is going on with a character from that HBO true crime documentary. So Mommy Dead and Dearest, uh, Gypsy Rose Blanchard, the daughter in that case, um, the one, you know, the mother made her pretend that she was sick and that they got to go on the Make-A-Wish trips and all that good stuff until Gypsy Rose found her online boyfriend who ended up killing the mother. So Gypsy Rose is in prison. And like many folks in prison, she is working towards her GED. So there was news this week. Radar Online had an exclusive report about the status of Gypsy Rose's life in prison, where she's serving her 10-year sentence. The news is she wants to pursue a career in cosmetology. Mm. Uh, And this is even more fun. She has a spokesperson. Her spokesperson, Francesca Maselli said that while working towards her GED, she also decided to explore some future career options. Quote, she's looked into beauty options. She is able to wear makeup in prison. She looks like a totally different person. Hmm. And she styles her hair, too. She can buy items from the commissary. So she does look totally different. You should look at the photo. As you remember, she, you know, they used to make her, you know, wear a little like bandana on her head. So it looked like she had cancer. Mm-hmm. Well, she looks she looks pretty good now. And she also is reportedly really enjoying prison life, telling her family and friends that she finally feels free in prison. Even though she's in prison. I, I got to I gotta tell you. Yeah, I, this is like a victim, right? She was she was a victim. She was also a perpetrator, but she was definitely a victim of abuse. You're reading this whole thing and I'm just sitting here shaking my head like who talks? about prison this way <laughs> it's great i get to wear uh, well, makeup she's, in prison. she's happy Imagine. yeah she's she feels free she's wearing makeup she's getting her hair done hmm. she looks fantastic imagine how I impressive mean, that home life was where going to prison is a step up towards freedom well she had well, something that didn't didn't they like have some like portal into her stomach oh where yeah they would, like yes. stick food and stuff i mean yes just the fact that she has control <laughs> over her own body is probably like a big step in the right direction yeah that's an excellent yeah. point I mean, seriously that's- i mean she lived with somebody who's basically torturing her so just being behind bars is you know must seem like a big step up you're right and i shouldn't make that joke but when laura was describing <laughs> sort of the culture of this the prison experience i was thinking about orange is the new black like getting to go to like yep. laverne cox and get your hair done and stuff <laughs> yeah i guess good for her i mean is she, i don't is she ever getting out <laughs> this girl is she ever uh, gonna get to be yeah, a hairdresser no she's she's only serving a 10-year sentence yeah. so unlike you know like i think pam smart also tried to take up a career like this in prison if i'm remembering correctly Gypsy Rose could get out. She could, uh, and I don't know if, when we have that hair sponsor again, I mean, this could be a good opportunity. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh-oh. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. All right. Kevin, uh, let's, moving on. Can you please read this for me? True Crime Podcast Update. All right. I'm going to run through a few things that we have been informed of by our listeners and just want to um, get your guys' take if you're listening to any of this stuff. Uh, I put a little note on our Crime Writers Unofficial Facebook discussion group page asking folks what they were listening to. And we got a few updates. And one of them, Kevin, relates to something we talked about a couple weeks ago. This is from Rebecca. And she says, a few days ago, the Pope's Long Con dropped another episode called The Pope's Wife and her unsuccessful attempt to win her late husband's seat in a special election. That was exactly what we talked about, was that there wasn't a podcast episode. Apparently, there is. Okay, yeah, I'll have to see if it differs. I listened to it. Oh, you did, Toby? Yeah, it's good. I mean, I definitely, I recommend it. If you like The Pope's Long Con, I would definitely check it out. The wife is a piece of work. Mm. So the two things that kind of stuck with me were, one, they have her sort of preaching at one point, and it's insane. Mm. Like, I can't imagine, like, being in the audience for something like that. That was quite an eye-opener. And then the other thing is they they have audio footage of the funeral, including this, like, rendition of like Freebird, I think, or something. It was just <laughs> it was just super bizarre. So I guess besides those two like pieces of audio that are troubling in, in different ways, the reaction basically seems to be 
from his his people, particularly his wife, is to put him forward as a martyr to like the lying media mm. and uh, just anger, right? At least publicly, not not paying much credence to the actual charges against him, right? Right. So anyway, I I, I definitely. It's it's worth listening to. Absolutely. All right. Well, I will definitely take a listen to it. Uh, Kevin, another audience member, Amanda, along with a bunch of other folks, um, but I'm going to give her credit for it. Um, she says that she would love for you to give Someone Knows Something season four a shot. She says David Ridgen has really improved. It's a compelling story. They have amazing access to key players. Kevin, would you be willing to give Someone Knows Something another shot if if we hear from many, many listeners as we have that season four is supposed to be super duper good. Is this the one about the flashlight? I believe the, uh, so, yes. The exploding, exploding flashlight. flashlight. Yep. Yeah, no, that seems really interesting. Yeah, and I, I, I know I went on a famous rant about the writing style. People think that I hate David or uh, someone knows something. I don't really. It just... You know, I made my point, I think, about I, I didn't really care for the purple writing in those episodes. Different season. I mean, David obviously is, is a guy with bona fides, so I have no doubt that he can put together a really great podcast. So mm. maybe this is it. But I'll only do it if everybody does it. All right. Well, and we'll check it out. Another another uh, really strong suggestion I've received in mm-hmm. the last couple of days from lots of people, including someone on Twitter who said this podcast is, quote, the one is the new season of Missing and Murdered, also from the CBC. Remember we did the Alberta Williams season. Yeah. Apparently the new season of Missing and Murdered is supposed to be great, so I think we should probably give that some consideration for future review. And then our listener Russ says that he just finished The Assassination from the BBC World Service. It's a 10-part series on the assassination of Benazir Bhutto, okay. which remains officially unsolved a decade later. The host is a brash Brit. So, Laura, I think maybe you should vet oh. that one for us. Yes. I've, I've listened to that yes. one, too. You have? Wow, Toby. I listened to, like, the first four episodes. <laughs> this is what Toby does when we go away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so this really, I mean, it's a lot different than what we usually do because it's international politics type of thing. The narrator certainly is, if I'm remembering correctly, he knew the Budos. Oh, um, I see. And he was, like, sort of a British guy who had lived in, in Pakistan. You know, he, he has a strong presence, which I enjoyed. But it's really it's a it's a harrowing story. Yeah, I, I listened to the first four episodes, and I don't know why. I think just other stuff kind of came up, and I didn't get back to it. Mm. But I I plan on it. It's harrowing, and because you know what's going to happen, that sort of adds to it too. Mm. Um, but that's another one that that you know if that seems like your kind of thing, you know it's definitely well done. Well, finally, we have one more of these, Kevin, and I'd like you to read it for me because this one deserves its own introduction. Final Final True Crime Crime Podcast Podcast Update. A couple of weeks ago, before we took our break, we were alerted of an emergency piece of audio that uh, some listeners really wanted us to listen to. Now, this was an epic rant from one of the hosts of the two-host podcast, Crime in Sports. I think we should just play the epic rant. Uh, I will tell our listeners it has some super salty language in it. So I've done a couple of light bleeps because it goes beyond even the boundaries we usually do on the yeah. show. And I don't want people to like fall off the chairs. But I would love, I know that Toby and Laura have not heard this yet, to get your reactions to the Crime and Sports Guys epic rant. All right. What I'd like to f- talk about for one second here is <laughs> self-important t- podcasters yeah. okay ah. what we do here we know we're not important right you know we're taking a story i'm researching i'm finding all the information i can i'm putting it together and i'm putting it out right there are people out here who think they are doing something special for the world by doing a <laughs> true crime podcast <laughs> and you people can eat 12 because <laughs> you're not a homicide detective <laughs> right. most of you aren't even journalists you're not breaking you're any nothing. story you're doing nothing but they do some of these people say see we'll get messages and you've gotten these <laughs> yeah. before we're incredibly sweet people who are looking for answers right. will message us and say, hey, can you do me a favor? My sister disappeared right. 15 years ago and she was killed and we could never find her and this case is unsolved. Would you look into it? And we say, thank you for thinking of us. Right. We're <laughs> comedians. Right. We have no business looking into the disappearance of anybody. We have no resources, barely have no any, connections. Right. I barely have the credit to look into the disappearance of my car keys i can't find (laughs) and you know why we wouldn't do it not because we don't want to because we're not we're not going to waste your time we're not self-important tools we'll say we're really sorry we hope that works i don't know help the police investigators there are people out there who think they're solving crimes as podcasters (laughs) you stupid 
You're solving. <laughs> you're solving your own ego. Right. You think you're solving things? Are you a homicide detective? You know how I could tell that you're not a homicide detective? You know what homicide detectives don't do? Ads for Blue Apron and mattresses. <laughs> That's what they don't do. And it's nothing against the mattresses. It's a Blue Apron. It's a fine mattress. Thoughts? Speechless. Yeah, I mean, I I basically agree. <laughs> um, I mean, I think it's something that we've we've talked about before, not in quite the same way. I feel like they took about ten months of our podcast and distilled it down into a three minute rant right there. <laughs> right, about a third of which was just profanity. Yeah. So there's that too. There's that too. It makes me feel like we did ten months to, to produce two minutes worth of actionable stuff. <laughs> That was definitely worse than my rant against somebody knows something. You think so? I think so. Yeah, it's it's more uh it was more forthright than anything that I think that we've ever like launched into. But I, I guess I will say the stuff that, that we've listened to, at least for me, that I felt was the best stuff that we've listened to has either been because it's a interesting story that's well reported and the storytelling is really good, or it's shining a light on something. And, and has a you know an outlook on some aspect of society and, and the idea that a podcast is going to be centered around there's this mystery and I'm going to solve it as far as I know it hasn't worked right you better have solved it three months ago before you started it <laughs> if the essential promise of any podcast is that we're going to solve this mystery uh, 99 times out of 100 you're not because you know like you said the cops that actually do this stuff weren't able to do it. And mm. so it takes a, right. a, a lot of hubris to say, oh, well, they just weren't doing a podcast. Right, so, right. So well, it's, it's different than, say, I mean, I would I would exclude a podcast like, and not just because I know them, like Undisclosed from that, because they're doing like a, lot, a lot of legal analysis. Mm-hmm. They're also not claiming, though, that they've solved anything on that show. Like, they're doing other legal analysis. They speculate. They definitely have theories that they sort of bear out. They interview people. They do original reporting. Right. But they're also lawyers, and they would never say, we think so-and-so did it. Yeah. But they, they legit were able to... Come, come up, up with evidence right. that that got Adnan's uh, verdict convi- overturned. Yeah, the verdict overturned. But but they're. Not I think that's going the most around. actually a single podcast has actually done yeah. in the podcasting realm. Laura, what do yeah. you think? Yeah, I, I I agree with the rant, but I want to. There's some caveats here. So yes, people that are like the armchair detectives that are starting podcasts that are solving cases in their mind or just sitting around talking about cases and all their theories about cases, I completely agree with that. But I think you have to differentiate between, you know, a podcast that's like a journalistic podcast, like some of the ones that we've listened to, where you have, you know, a reporter like reexamining a case and looking at a case again. And in those cases, there often is new information that does come to light through investigative journalism. So putting this complete blanket category that nothing is going to be solved by a podcast. I agree that certain people, and I'm not going to name names that we've talked about, did not solve cases. They just happened to be lucky that cases were solved while they were reporting about them. But, you know, in in other cases, you know, new information is brought out through the investigating that goes into the podcast. So I think there's two different camps in terms of the category that the people making the podcast would sort of fall into. Mm-hmm. So I agree, but I also think there are some pretty good podcasts that do bring out new information. I completely agree with you. I, I totally. Yeah. I mean, I think like that Madeline Barron. Absolutely. Yes. If in the dark, if that case hadn't broken before that podcast came out, I bet their podcast would have either broken the case or at least put new interest on the case that would have led mm-hmm. to something. Amber Hunt's first season of Accused certainly, yes, exactly. I think, put suspects in the light in a way that was really compelling and interesting. But again, Amber Hunt, great investigative reporter, brought new information to light, still says at the end she doesn't, she can't know. You can't know. I mean, obviously, there's other things that need to happen. But, like, I'll just say something about these these guys because I got reached out to them after the rant. You um, asked if we could I asked use if we could clip. use yeah. the clip. They are hilarious. And this rant, if anyone's interested in hearing it again, is it about the two-hour and 48-minute mark because their podcast is – it's like Jesus. sports talk radio. Yeah. It's hours oh long. God. This podcast was three wow. hours long. It's episode 105 oh of the Crime in Sports podcast. And um, it's basically like – and I'm just – I want to just throw one thing to you, Kevin. 
I started listening to a little bit more of the show after, you know, hearing this rant and like talking to the guys a little bit. It reminds me very much of like old timey sports talk radio, but they've infused it with this like attitude, which is that you can only do in podcasts, which kind of differentiates it. But they're hilarious, right? Oh, yeah, they're very funny. Right. It it is like it's like sports radio, but they get to swear, which is the difference (laughs) between radio and podcasting. You can't go on the radio and say eat. (laughs) I know I tried. Once. Yes, yes. All right. Well, there is one last thing I want to talk about that is something that um, came to my attention in the past couple of weeks. I mean, I knew it was coming, but like I actually read it while we were on vacation. That is the much anticipated true crime book, I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara. If you have never heard of that book by title, you may have heard the story. Michelle McNamara was the true crime author and blogger. Uh, She was married to the actor and comedian Patton Oswalt. She passed away in 2016, and this book was published posthumously. Patton Oswalt did a lot of work with the publisher to get it finished and out the door and to advance some of the work that Michelle McNamara had done. Now, Toby is reading I'll Be Gone in the Dark. I read it. I loved it. I loved so many things about it. I'm dying to talk about it. And I know that Toby, at the very least, is willing to have a conversation with me about I'll Be Gone in the Dark and maybe another person or two for a special episode of Crime Writers On that perhaps we'll offer up to our Patreon listeners. Uh, Toby, how far are you into I'll Be Gone in the Dark? And I'm just curious your impressions so far of the book. Yeah, I'm about halfway through. And yeah, I, I like it a lot. I, it's interesting. And I think it's it's an interesting sort of counterpoint to what we were just talking about right, in exactly that she was, was say, totally yeah. the type of person who was hanging out on her computer doing searches and, and all this kinds of stuff. She's just, she's just very thorough. And again, I'm only halfway through, so who knows what happens in the other half, I guess. Well, I guess, you know, the only, um, the, only, the only thing I'll tell you, Toby, is that she does end up working with some of the law enforcement people who have been trying to solve this case. Now, this is a decades old case. She has dubbed the perpetrator, the Golden State Killer. She actually came up with that name. This is a, a man who is responsible for a long series of rapes and murders in California neighborhoods. Um, the book has a lot of history about the uh, birth and development of these neighborhoods in California. It is a very, very, very compelling, interesting read that creeped me the hell out. Like, I don't know about you, Toby, but like I told Kevin, like, we need to beef up the security in our yeah. house. <laughs> you know, you know, what's weird is that I was uh, I was reading that and that takes place around Sacramento. Yeah. And then I watched Lady Bird, which also takes place in Sacramento. It's kind of a quirky coming of age story yeah. with no murders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that would be different. Well, Laura, do you think Spoiler we can, alert. <laughs> Laura, do you think we can get you on board with reading I'll Be Gone in the Dark and talking about it with us for a special um, extra Patreon episode of Crime Writers on Book Club? Sure. I'm on board. This will be better than my last book club because nobody ever wanted to read the books. Oh. And so I would read the book and everyone else just wanted to drink wine. And, and so this this makes me happy. So I will read the book. Well, and I will probably drink wine, too. <laughs> well, you know, if you're going to do that, you should probably sign up for the Martha Stewart Wine Company. <laughs> Martha Stewart Wine Company takes the guesswork out of wine. Every wine in the collection has been tasted and approved by Martha Stewart herself. Takes the guesswork out of wine the way Laura just inadvertently took the guesswork out of that transition. <laughs> that was pretty awesome. It was pretty smooth. It was smooth like that. Like that Cabernet we had. Oh, yeah, the Cabernet was great. And the I, long chase. Yes, and I, I had some nice Chardonnay tonight. Mm-hmm. I chilled it. Uh, we had it with fish, and it was really great. And Martha, I, I'm calling her Martha like we're on a first-name basis. Oh, she's, she's Martha to me. There's only one Martha. I well, there's you, two. There's Martha Washington and Martha Stewart. That's it. No more Marthas. Yeah. Well, Martha Plimpton. No, Martha yeah, Stewart just, is just the Martha. Yeah, just Martha Stewart. Yeah, she's the Martha. You can't really call her Miss Stewart. That doesn't sound right. It's Martha. She offers pairings and serving recommendations for each of the wines and a listing of her own personal favorites. And with prices ranging from about $12 to $30, all of the Martha Stewart Wine Company wines are both great and affordable, and they offer free shipping when you join one of their wine club options or you buy 12 or more bottles. So you can also, and this is a great thing, you can get a year of wine gift membership so it's perfect gift for like a wedding or an anniversary. And you're guaranteed to love all the wine. If you don't like a bottle, they will replace it with one you love. So to get 20% off your first purchase of a bottle, pack, or club membership, you go to MarthaStewartWine.com and you use promo code CRIME. Crime. What else you got, Kevin? Let me tell you about my newest time-saving trick. 
You mean my newest time-saving trick. You mean using an awesome app called Simple Contacts? Yes, Kevin. And I actually insist on being the one to read this ad as the contact lens wearer in our house. I got my contact lens prescription renewed at work from the break room in under five minutes using an awesome app called Simple Contacts. Where I you said that. Give yourself an eye exam (laughs) that gets reviewed by a doctor and they renew your contact lens prescription and then you can reorder your brand of lenses from anywhere in minutes all through the app. So on your phone. Yep. You you can take you get an actual eye exam with with an actual doctor. You get an eye exam that get, it gets reviewed by the professionals at Simple Contacts. So basically you wear your contacts and it's the same eye exam that you get. And I, I've had millions of these where when you're wearing your contacts, like they basically made you re- read the rows and they let, it scans for redness in your eyes to make sure your contacts aren't bothering you. It, like it does like an actual eye exam. Now it's not a replacement for going to your ophthalmologist or optometrist. You should still go get those regular eye exams, but this is your contact lens exam. It saves a tremendous amount of time and what I loved about it, the vision test is only $20 on Simple Contacts and then the shipping is free for the contact lenses. It re-ups your prescription for a whole new year. Mm-hmm. And they carry I wear a very specific brand of contact lenses with multifocal lenses inside yeah. them like multifocal magnification in a very specific daily wear brand that I love I've worn it for years yeah we know your hype maintenance they carry get. them they have them they do and I okay. got them like two days later and it usually takes my own eye doctor like a week to get them in when I order them so anyway I really recommend Simple Contacts if you're a contact lens wearer if you've tried other mail order services this one is the jam yeah and best of all you can get $30 off your first Simple Contacts order just go to simplecontacts.com slash crime or enter the code crime at checkout again that's simplecontacts.com slash crime or just enter crime at checkout for $30 off your contacts. I really recommend it. Okay. All right, Kevin, before we move on, I just want to ask you a follow-up question about I'll Be Gone in the Dark, the Michelle McNamara book. Yeah. What do you think about uh, the fact that, you know, she was working on this book for a really long time, for years. Yeah. And I know that you haven't read the book, uh, but I told you a lot about it when I was reading Felt it. Felt like I did, because you kept I know, telling her, me about it. Her writing is just, it's so beautiful, and it's just so well put together um, and so creepy. What do you think of... This idea that it was published posthumously and that, you know, the case that she was trying, she was trying to solve the case. She wasn't trying to write about the case, trying to solve the case. But Patton Oswalt really made it his life's mission to get this book out. He got people that she was working with to, you know, to contribute. Uh, One of the things that I loved about it, and I told you about this when I was reading it, is that in the book there are transitions where it it makes, as an editor's note, there'll be like five chapters that Michelle wrote, and there'll be a note. The following chapter was pieced together from Michelle's notes. It's all, so it's sort of piecemeal that way. What do you think of this idea of this posthumous uh, book publication? Well, it's not uncommon. I mean, I think it's great that uh, Patton Oswalt did it, and we know he was very supportive of his wife and you know he's talked about his loss publicly but for those who think the most interesting thing about this book is that the writer has passed away right or that the writer's husband was well known was well known i think you're missing it here right. because this actually from what i hear from you is a really great first person read in the way like completely opposite from James Renner's True Crime Attic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That this is one that is like written very well and, and, and it just ends up being more poignant because as this person is telling you about her experiences in her life and like her relationship with her mother and her own daughter, you know that she, that she has passed away. Right, right. So I think that that sounds like a really good read. And so it, it, it's a good thing that Pat Oswalt, you know, picked up the torch and, and made sure that this unfinished work yeah. uh, got finished. It's one thing if, if it were a novel, yeah. you know, but this, because this is really the story of her life. It's it's a fitting tribute. Yeah, no, I, I actually agree. And I, the thing you said it is true. It doesn't bother me that the that it's getting so much attention. The publication story is getting so much attention. The only thing that bothers me about it is that the book, I think, transcends the publication story. I think it is really, 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 really good for a bunch of different reasons that it would have been good if it had been written by anyone. Moving on to our main event of the evening, we're going to be talking about AMC's Mick Mafia. I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Educated at a private school in England. I run my own firm in the city. 
I'm very happy with my life the way it is. The BBC and AMC have teamed up for this series, McMafia. It's a show about a young British banker who gets dragged into his Russian family's ties to organized crime. How will the straight-laced son act when thrust into a power struggle between the Russian and Israeli mafias? The action takes place not only in London, but throughout Europe, Africa, and the Middle East, with producers spending millions of dollars on each episode. The show is based on a 2008 nonfiction book of the same name, and the series has already run in the UK and made its American premiere just two weeks ago. Episodes are available on air, on demand, and on AMC's premium web service. So while our British listeners may already know how the story goes, we've only seen the first couple of episodes of McMafia. There may be some mild spoilers, but we don't really know anything <laughs> super spoilery about it. So Check our show notes for the time code if you don't want to hear our discussion about it and you only want to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down review. Or you can just listen to our conversation now and not do that. It's up to you. Question one. Now, this show seems to fall into a category that we've seen a lot of in the last decade or so, Laura, a category that um, I like to call the good guy forced to use his legitimate skills for illegitimate purposes category. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We've had shows like Breaking Bad. We've had shows like Ozark. Um, it certainly isn't the first thing we've seen like this. Do we need more of this? You know, I think this this show is different than some of the others. I mean, but it does fit within that same general theme where, you know, we, we have this very smart person who's very successful at the job that they're in, who then in order to either save them, their family or themselves, uses those skills to go to the dark side. I mean, I will just, you know... With this one, James Norton, I mean, I just like watch him no matter what he's in. Tell so. us about that. <laughs> Why is that, Laura? <laughs> I just love him. I'm so he is one of my favorites. Um, you know, we remember from Unhappy Depressing Valley, he was the super creepy <laughs> murderer. Actually called Happy Valley, but yes. Happy Valley. And then he's also in Grant Chester. He's the like crime solving vicar. And he's pretty hot. So, uh, but he's a good actor, you know? And and so I that's what drew me into watching this show. Um but it's definitely, yes, it does fit into that same category. And I did think of Jason Bateman, you know, having just watched Ozark. It is similar in a way. Now, Toby, this show has been touted in lots of different articles for its international, you know, flair, all these different locations that they've shot on, all this, you know, sort of international intrigue. But at the heart of it is a story about Russians and, you know, Russian bad guys. Um, do you think that that is a story that is appealing now because of what's going on in our world when it comes to hearing some of these little touches of stories about, you know, Russian evildoers and our lives as Americans now? I, I don't know if that's the connection necessarily. So when I was watching it, the model I think of is The Godfather. Yep. In that it's the kid who's playing it pretty straight, but he's part of organized crime family and then he kind of has to take over the family business when his father is no longer able to. As far as bringing the Russian mafia into that, I think that allows it to be sort of an international story. There was, I can't even remember where I read this, but there's a thing about how the Russians, and I think it was during Putin's time, but the people in charge in Russia, and then also uh, the gangsters who are oftentimes the same people, they loved the Godfather and tried to act like the Godfather, yeah. and they kind of took their cues from that. So now making a sort of Godfatherish movie about the Russian mob seems like uh, you know it's it's kind of clever if that's what they're trying to do. But as, as far as like how that relates to like collusion during the presidential election and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I, at least for me, that wasn't a draw, but it might be for other people. Well, I was only thinking about how, you know, Russian mafia types have been in pop culture really since like the 90s-ish, late 80s, early 90s. Since the Russian mob sort of Well, I, I remember first hearing about the Russian mob, and this is embarrassing, but we have a podcast about it, so I'm just going to throw it out there, in early episodes of Law & Order, where they would have like, there was the mob that was like the non-scary mob, and then all whenever there were Russian mob episodes, that's like when someone got their throat cut, like. DA mm -hmm. at their throat cut because <laughs> yeah. it was always like the Russian mob is the scariest mob and so that was always sort of the caricature of these kinds of characters that you know was sort of in in my you know pop culture like shelf but then when the Americans 
came on, uh, what, like six or seven years ago yeah. at first. And they that show was very nostalgic and kind of about the 80s. That was the initial draw. But then when all these new news stories about Russia started bubbling up a few years ago, the Americans took on new relevance when you were looking at all these like Russian political characters. Kevin, you know, you know what I'm talking about here? I, I love you very much, but sometimes I think we're not watching the same show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, see, your point about uh, the different kinds of, quote, mobs yeah. uh, in popular culture, We the thing that we sort of knew about the Italian mob was that they had rules, and there yeah. was, you know, the whole... Omerta. Hon- yeah, there's sort of an honor among thieves, and you don't, you don't go after the family, and you just go at blah, 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 blah. We kind of understand what those parameters are. And then, like, the Russian mob came in because they were chaotic. Right. And they would just, they didn't care about that. So they were cutthroat. So that made them scary. When we look at this, uh, you know, these characters, uh, again, it, it's, um, you know, I'm trying to figure out, we're also dealing with these, the Israeli mob. So it's this power struggle between, you know, the organized crime in Russia and organized crime in, in Israel. It's that it just plays on such a bigger stage. Hmm. And I don't know yeah. if that works as well. Things like we talked to, we just mentioned like Breaking Bad and Ozark and to some extent The Sopranos and True Detective, their sense of setting yeah. and location mm. uh, set like a certain tone and it was very mm-hmm. much like another character that sometimes yeah. sort of right you know made the the whole uh, sense of impending doom you know it colored it in a certain way it made it feel small right well, and this one's very broad it's starting broad yeah I mean one of the things yeah. about Breaking Bad though and I think Breaking Bad is a good example of this it started small. It started as a, a like a almost like a domestic suspense with like uh-huh. Walter and his wife and his his bad his bad deeds, and then and through the course of the series, which was on for years, the world of the series got bigger and bigger. You sort of well, went to Mexico. You went to you know the the chicken place and that guy and his larger and so the universe expanded. And this is starting with a very big universe in episode one. Yeah. Laura, do you think that that works or not? Yeah, no, I, I do. And and that's one of the things I really like about this because, you know, you see right when the, the story opens in the opening credits, you, you know, you see different cities being drawn into the story. And right from the beginning, it's like he's jetting here, he's jetting there, the families are going here and there. It kind of reminds me, even though it's, it's not a crime story, but like, you know, any of the Dan Brown books that have been made into movies, they're in these like very beautiful locations solving a crime or doing something and there's one scene in this where they're they're in a museum and there's this huge statue and it's it's the scenery and the setting certainly gives a different feel to this whole story that it it definitely feels bigger it feels global it feels like you really get a sense of how far this network of organized crime is traveling Mm. so when Alex Godman finally starts to go down the dark side path and um they they illustrate it so well, again, with that sort of global feel, like he taps a key and you can see how the money travels around the world from here to there as they're trying to use laundered money to get things done and, and get done what they want done. But it, it really, for me, that was the part I really liked about the story. Yeah. He presses one key and then you see through the, the lens all of the different things that that sets in motion around the world to make this transaction right, happen. Right. From the Cayman yes. Islands to the Middle East. To, yeah. 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 Well, I, I think it's a, it's a very slick and glossy show. Uh, it doesn't yeah. have a homespun feel. It has like a high production value feel, which it should. But, of the price but, tag. but sometimes those shows are just bad because there's so and I'm not saying the show is great, but I think that the slickness in some ways helps because there are some things in it. And um, Toby, I don't know if you agree with me because I know that you tend to see some of this bullshit stuff like pretty quickly when you're watching something. Um, you know, the, the protagonist in this show, this so-called good guy who's being sort of led down. Whose name this, is God. God, man. Yes. Right. That, that's, Get that's, that, folks. Yeah. Yes. That, that, that's sort of being led on this darker <laughs> path. Like, I think his relationship with his parents is interesting. The thing that I think is super boring is that he has this like uh, ingenue girlfriend uh, uh, who's just sort of in the dark. And yeah. every time he looks at her, he smiles. And I'm hoping there's more there because it just sort of feels like so done that like I'm going to do all these bad things, but I don't want my partner to know like it has to be. a I have to protect the little woman. I don't know. Toby, do you feel that way, too? Or do you not think about that? I just kind of assume that she's there to bring in that banker with a conscience Mm -hmm. uh, guy who she works with like i assume that's going to be part of the plot because you know what she does right 
she's into business ethics. <laughs> right. And she's got this guy who like he's a big banker who talks like a socialist, yeah. you know, yeah. about yeah. how you know, the problem is that capitalism ends up with a lot of money in the hands of a few people. Um this is actually like this kind of show is like my guilty pleasure. Mm. Like this is the kind of stuff that even if it kind of sucks, I still kind of enjoy watching it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and and I'm not I'm not even saying that this that this sucks. Like I think it's pretty good. But I do like I was thinking before we started about um, Jesus. What is it called? The that cowboy thing that we just did. Godless. Godless. Yes, godless. And yeah. and I'm like, well, do I hold it up to the same standard that led me to give a thumbs down to Godless? Because Godless was another kind of slick piece of work. And I think this has some of the same issues that Godless had in that you're spending all this time and energy at the end of the day. Are you going to walk away from it feeling like, yeah, I'm really glad they made that. Mm. You know, I really think that people in, you know, 10 years are going to like still really be enthusiastic about watching this. Or is it just like a piece of fluff that's enjoyable. Yeah. Can you answer a question for me, Toby? Can you answer? Sure. So why is it that uh, Alex's father doesn't speak English? He says he doesn't want to speak English to anybody, but Alex always talks to him in English and he answers in Russian. Obviously, he understands the question, right? <laughs> he does. He also right. he also speaks English because he's always being berated for not doing it in front of poor Rebecca, who's you know as a, who doesn't speak Russian, the girlfriend. But I, yeah. I think there's a lot of people who who understand better than they speak. Right. Yeah. But and I also think. You know, I think he's my my sense is that he's making a point. Right. You know, is he's 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 got that classic sort of immigrant thing like my kid is British, he's not Russian, Mm. and that kind of pisses him off. Mm -hmm. So anyway, Toby, I have a more important question about Alex's dad for you. Do you think he could play the older Toby Ball like I think he could play the older Toby Ball? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not familiar with the older Toby Ball. (laughs) Not yet. You will be. Every time this guy gets on the screen, I'm like, he could play the older Toby Ball. Like in the oh retrospective God. film about Toby's life where we see Toby turn into like the, in Toby's giving tree or whatever it is. Yeah. Feeding feeding the ducks. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Hey, you keep laughing, Laura. Rebecca already knows which one of the young hookers is going to be the young <laughs> Laura Bricker. Oh, no. It's the one who's going to go be the spy. Exactly. And then, like, like, get all the information. You know what? The one shot in both knees, though. Yeah, exactly. You know what? What Toby just said, and I actually think this is an interesting point. Um, Godless was an expensive, slick show with a bunch of familiar tropes in it, which killed it for us. Because I think that we all felt like it was trying to do something more. Mm-hmm. And it just delivered all these dumb, hackneyed tropes. Um, this show has a bunch of dumb, hackneyed tropes and also has a bunch of stuff that we've seen a million times. I mean, a great example of that is in episode two, this prolonged journey of these trafficked women, right? Mm-hmm. We know that they're trafficked from the first like few minutes of the show when the first thing happens to the one of them. And then we have to see their prolonged journey across the desert being like raped, being thrown into different trucks. We don't see the rapes, just for our listeners. You don't actually see them, but they strongly imply that they're happening. Um, and, you know, all this stuff going on. And it's like, we get it. We totally get it. Thank you for showing that to us in every other scene through this whole episode where you know you could have been doing something else. And also, like, the women are kind of clueless in the show. So far, I mean, maybe they well, get more complex. See, I, I took away from, like, the way that we kept seeing the scenes of the girls being transferred from one truck to the other. I was thinking, like, okay, one of these girls is somebody that's connected to one of these Russian mafia guys like I was thinking who are these like in the beginning before I figured out they were just a bunch of women in a room I was thinking there was some bigger connection mm. and that's why they kept teasing it by showing us those girls yeah well it does like, it does kind of get tied together at the end though we find out where the, the destination yeah. of one of them is but yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean but I have to say what I, I kind of agree with Toby this also fits in my bucket of guilty pleasure stuff because now granted I have had some uh hints from some of our British listeners that this really picks up and gets more interesting as it goes. Maybe I'm hopeful. Maybe that's where it's coming from. But I feel like this isn't trying to do the thing that got, I mean, the thing like Godless was trying to do something in the way that Westworld tries to do something and really succeeds. Mm-hmm. This is an intriguing international thriller with really sexy yeah. actors. <laughs> Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. But it's and it's also taking on, you know, yes, we have these themes that have been seen before, but we've also got kind of it's it's the modern version. It's like modern technology and how 
the mafia around the world is using that modern technology to run their businesses like corporations, which is kind of the new spin on it, Mm. I think. Yeah. So, Kevin, um, this is based on the book McMafia. It's a nonfiction book. Uh, The concept is that organized crime is following the model of corporations. Uh, As we saw in the series, you know, there was a whole discussion about, you know, this guy wanted to model a business about Burger King by basically just trying to open a Burger King down the street from every McDonald's and steal some market share. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of that idea? I think it's a great uh, analogy. Yeah, again, a great business model. I mean, I remember I remember in The Wire, I remember Stringer Bell going to community college to learn business practices. I mean, just just because they're criminals doesn't mean that there aren't legitimate business techniques that apply in their illegal business. Uh, so the idea that uh, about competition and supply and demand and all that other stuff, hey, it, it worked for franchisees, for McDonald's and Burger King and Wendy's and how they're all fighting for your lunch dollar, it makes sense that someone would would catch on, you know, to sort of, we're going to be the, whatever, the heroin dealer in all of the big cities. And, um, you know, and how do you, how do you get to be number one when you're number two? We're going to be the best human trafficker in all of, (laughs) that's right. I mean, it's kind of what it comes down to, right? Have it your way. Yes. Right. Meanwhile, Alex is just trying to launder money through his very slick little firm. I have a question for you guys. Um, you know how like every time in a, in a TV show or movie where someone is like a hedge fund manager or mm-hmm. a trader, you know, we see it in Billions, we see it in like every movie, they always have those like that special like million dollar computer that shows all the graphs <laughs> and charts yeah. or whatever. Like, <laughs> what else do those guys do all day besides stare at that stupid computer with all the charts and graphs? I don't know. You work at a newsroom. You tell me. <laughs> all your fancy computers. What do you do besides look at it all day? I don't know. I mean, it's like, I, I know they're just trying to get money. They're talking about money. They're moving money. I find the whole like uh, high-end private equity bank thing so confusing. Mm-hmm. I find it yes. so unbelievably confusing. And, you know, I think that in Ozark, as they did a really great job explaining how money laundering works. Money laundering is like a really boring topic. when you. Have, but they did a really great job explaining it and showing it. And I think... I'm hoping, I mean, I don't know if the show's going to do that for me for investment banking, but I don't know about you guys. I just don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get it. All right. Well, let's do that thing we do. Let's let our listeners know. Um, thumbs up or thumbs down. Do you plan to continue watching McMafia? And do you uh, recommend our listeners check it out? Laura Bricker, I'm going to start with you. What do you think? Yeah, I am all over this, as you probably figured out. Um, so much so that I, I may subscribe to the service that lets me watch all of the episodes. Because <laughs> I just, I can't draw this out over eight weeks. I just, I just can't do it. I need to just watch them all in one week. Is it because of your us. friend James Norton? Is that why? It is. Is because this is could be a risque show. I think I may see more of him than I've seen before, so I need to keep watching. <laughs> <laughs> Toby Ball, what about you? Thumbs up or thumbs down for McMafia? Do you recommend our listeners check it out? And will you keep watching? Yeah, I'll, I'll keep watching. It's only two episodes, and I, I give it kind of the same kind of thumbs up I give to, like, Frosted Flakes, <laughs> which is that, <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not really that good for you, but you, you kind of enjoy it while it's going on, so... <laughs> There you are. All Thumbs right. up. I guess that's that. There will never be a better qualifier ever given in a review of this show <laughs> than Toby, who in all of his audio checks, uh, where we ask what he's had for breakfast in the morning, says he eats wheat checks. Coffee and orange juice, <laughs> comparing a thumbs up to Frosted Flakes. It's really fantastic. Uh, I am also going to give McMafia a thumbs up. Again, not deep, but really nicely done for a guilty pleasure show in a way that I think these shows should be. Uh, the actors are very high quality, good actors. Uh, some of the tropes are boring, like the sort of women on the sidelines. I really do love the Russian characters. I think that that adds a dimension here that despite what Kevin says, feels relevant and feels uh, very, very right now. Uh, it feels new in a way that I think comparing it to Godless is very good. There was no reason for us to tell a Western story right now, especially in the wake of uh, Westworld being so brilliant. But McMafia feels of the time and I'm really enjoying it. So a thumbs up for me. What about you, Kevin? Unfortunately, I'm going to be thumbs down. I think part of it may be because... I've only seen two episodes out of the eight, and that just might be too small a sample size. I've found that for the ones that we've binged and we've seen all of them, that things sort of really sort of kick in in the third episode. So I'm going to qualify by saying I'm a thumbs down just because I don't feel like I want to watch anymore. Oh, okay. um, yeah. I, I just I couldn't really figure out 
all of what was going on. Maybe that's by design, and and uh, again, it's supposed to be sort of like all put together towards the end. But you know, just for me, I just I I I just am having a hard time getting into it. So if I have to vote up or down right now, I'm going to say. Uh, thumbs down. But, you know, it, it does seem like it could be really interesting. And, you know, the whole idea of, you know, the good guy getting dragged into the bad job is is sort of, you know, one that has worked before. Yep. Uh, like I say, it's hard to find, you know, good workers, it especially is. in the, the mob. Yeah, yeah. It's actually hard, tough to find good workers everywhere unless you're using LinkedIn. <laughs> you know, a business is only as strong as its people and every hire matters. So don't settle for posting. And hoping the right person will find your role and apply, you should use LinkedIn. Mm. Because LinkedIn is the world's largest professional network. So there's no better way of finding great talent. I think we're all here on LinkedIn. And uh, it's a great way because if you're looking to hire somebody, you're looking for that perfect candidate. 70% of the U.S. workforce is already on LinkedIn. That perfect person that you want, that's going to like you know be the fit who's out there, may not actually be looking at any of those job boards. I know, I mean, how many of us actually are? But this is a way that you're fishing where the fish are. It's on LinkedIn. Just ask the 22 million professionals who view and apply for jobs on LinkedIn every week in every industry. Yep. Not the money laundering industry, (laughs) international trade, but I think in just about every other industry, they're there. There's hundreds of thousands of businesses who have posted to LinkedIn jobs in the past year, and they rate LinkedIn jobs 40% higher than job boards at delivering quality candidates, because that's what you want. Because LinkedIn considers skills, experiences, location, and much more to match and promote your job to potential candidates. Yep. Get in front of them. Make them want that job. If you're not using LinkedIn for your hiring needs, you're really missing out. Go to LinkedIn.com slash crime, crime and get a $50 credit towards your first job post. That's LinkedIn.com slash crime, crime for your $50 credit today. Terms and conditions apply. What else you got, Kevin? Well, when I want to let people know about what's happening in true crime world, crime writers on, yep. these are the stories. Our writings at authorkevinflynn.com. I use Squarespace. Of course you do. All of our websites are on Squarespace. HGTV and me, HGTVpodcast.com. It's Squarespace. Whenever we want to start something new, a new podcast, a new project, we always start with Squarespace because you can really stand out with Squarespace. They have beautiful templates created by world-class designers, so it's really easy to turn an idea into a new or unique website. In fact, I like just going in and changing the template. That I have every all the contents there, and you can see, you can preview what it's going to look like, yep. and say, "Oh, the font's a little different," and all this other stuff, and it just really keeps it fresh and modern. You can customize everything, and it's all optimized for mobile right out of the box, so it looks good on desktop, on your phone, everything the font works. Size. Yeah, everything works. And if you have questions, Squarespace's award-winning twenty-four-seven customer support is there to help. Destiny is calling. It says that you need to make a website, so make it with. Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. Yeah, really, go. Make, like, websites for free. And then when you're ready to launch it, you use offer code CWO for Crime Writers On, CWO, and save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. That's squarespace.com, offer code CWO. I love the ability to purchase multiple domains at once on Squarespace. Like, if you want to get, like, CrimeWritersOn.org and CrimeWritersOn.net and CrimeWritersOn.co and CrimeWritersOn.com. You do it right there. Just search right click, there. Click, 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 click. It's so easy. Love me some Squarespace. Yeah. CrimeWritersOn.com is on Squarespace. He's offer code CWO. All right. Now it's time for a little something I like to call my favorite part of the podcast. It's the crime, crime of, of the, the week. week. Police in the crime-famous burg of Woodlawn, Maryland, say a man is recovering after a freak accident which started with body odor. Mm. The man was parked inside his company car and covered himself all over with an aerosol body spray. He then lit a cigarette, causing all that fragrant Black Eclipse XL to explode. (laughs) The blast blew out the windshield, the doors, and dented the roof. The unidentified driver was treated for burns and hearing damage. So here's my question for you, panel. Laura Bricker, I will start with you. (laughs) What is the most dangerous health and beauty aid in your house? Well, I'm not a huge product person, 
So I'm going to go with my straightening iron for my hair. Mm -hmm. Remembering when I first started using curling irons back in junior high school and burned myself right in the middle of my forehead (laughs) and had to go to school for like three weeks with this big burn right at like between my eyebrows. So I think, uh, you know, I've learned from that, but I have burned myself on many occasions, reaching down and touching this thing when it's still on, like on the side of the sink. So I'd say that's it. What about you, Toby? What is the most dangerous or perhaps deadly health and beauty aid at your house? I'm assuming you mean potentially. Yes. Yeah. So to make a short story a little bit longer than it normally would be, I when I was in high school, I worked at this place called Ames, which is kind of like Kmart. Yeah, I remember Ames. And, oh, yes. Yeah. Amazing Ames. And uh, my buddy and I were trying to put this like – 200 pound like box of wood that you could like was like make into a cabinet or something and it slipped out of his hand and then fell like it's cornered like right on my big toe like right on the nail bed ouch so it, it like broke my toenail but it also damaged the nail bed so that my toenail my big toe toenail on my right foot comes in a little thick and wavy <laughs> and so oh. i've got this like industrial strength toe clipper which i think oh. you could probably lop off like a finger or a toe with the thing wow so i think that that's the most wow. dangerous item toby's thick and wavy like a pringles toenail all of america is dying to know see it now oh. well my, my my friend said when we were living in dc and i was like early on the birkenstock train oh. that uh he's like oh. He's like, you're the only person I know who wears sandals, and you've got the ugliest toes I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) (laughs) So I got to let him air out. We Uh, just got so much information. So much information. I don't know what to think anymore. Oh, my God. So much information. Well, uh, mine isn't quite so dire. Uh, I got to go with Kapari, uh, one of our favorite sponsors, makes an unbelievable smelling set of products that I, as you know, Kevin, like to slather all over my body all the time. It's dangerous. It's a bomb. No. A coconut bomb. It's Kapari. (laughs) No, it's dangerous, and it's not really dangerous. It's just annoying because when I do slather that amazing coconut bomb at kaparibeauty.com slash crime, my dog- will lick me in my sleep to wake me up, (laughs) resulting in loss of sleep, resulting in insomnia, which is not healthy. So that is why I'm saying Kopari is the most dangerous because my dog finds it very, very um, tempting and delicious and likes to lick my face all night while I have it slathered on my body. What about you, Kevin? What is the most dangerous health and beauty aid in your medicine cabinet? So the story, we got this tweeted to us by, I think it was our our super fan, Alex. Mm -hmm. And- the idea of the guy doing the body spray and then lighting a cigarette and pulling out the car, I, I couldn't stop laughing for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, do, you that little, like, do that little high-pitched laugh that you do when you're like, <laughs> I did. I, yeah. I'd stop and then I'd remember it again and I'd start laughing. That's the one. That's the laugh. Uh, but the most dangerous thing is obviously Harry's razor. Uh, <laughs> because I, you know. It's, it makes you dangerously handsome? Makes me devastatingly handsome. All right. All right. We should probably end it on that note. But, Laura Bricker, before we do, do we have a Cat of the Week this week? We do. And thanks to Toby for alerting me to this Cat of the Week. Amanda wrote to us through our Crime Writers on Facebook page, sent us a message about her cat, Gandalf the Grey. Um, and I'm just going to read what she wrote. It's very sweet. Several months ago, my daughter was diagnosed with brain cancer. She had a craniotomy to remove as much of the tumor as possible, which I could speak volumes about. However, this is for Gandalf the Gray, my cat. Since my daughter has returned and been recovering, Gandalf has taken it upon himself to be her personal mentor, protector, and friend, which is great because I'm a single mom and I can't hope to fill all of those rules. I was a little nervous when we returned from the hospital. He might do something very cat-like and lick her scar and try to claw her stitches, but he has done nothing of that sort. Instead, he's been a giant ball of Maine Coon cat purring love. Love you guys. Amanda, owner of Gandalf the Gray. And then she says, P.S. Yes, I'm a 40 singles mom addicted to true crime. I think there needs to be a PSA that single moms should not get addicted to true crime because you will never date again during the process. Oh, what a wonderful so, story. Yeah. We tend to think of that. with that, Amanda, and your, yes. your daughter. I hope your daughter is feeling better. And that cat sounds very uncat like indeed. A Maine Coon cats yes. are very uncat. 
cat-like indeed. What a wonderful, heartwarming Cat of the Week story. Nice job curating that one, guys. Uh, Laura Bricker, if people want to send you their heartwarming or silly or uh, maybe perhaps dumb cat or dog or pet of the week <laughs> stories to submit to our show, how can they reach you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, if people want to reach out to you and perhaps try to get some toe pics, you know what I'm Ugh. talking about, from oh. you, how can they find you on Twitter, Toby? I don't think they let that stuff on Twitter these days. <laughs> That's Instagram. <laughs> At Toby Ball and H. And Kevin Flynn, if people reach out to you on Twitter and, and compliment you on how dangerously handsome you are, how can they find you? I will take all those compliments at Kevin P. Flynn. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at RebLavoy. You can tweet to our show at Crime Writers On and join the fine folks in the official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group or leave a comment on our regular old Facebook page. Subscribe now to Stitcher Premium at stitcherpremium.com slash crime and you will get exclusive ad-free content including... Our secret Stitcher Premium podcast, married with podcast. podcast. Yes, we can never figure out a way to say that. You can go to our website, crimewriterson.com, and sign up for our newsletter. If you love the show, leave a review. But more important, tell a friend. Share the Crime Writers On gossip because... We need as many listeners as we can possibly get. Our vote themes, for us! Vote for us, exactly, at the discoverpods.com bracket. Our theme song was performed by Rocksteady Freddy and the New York Scott Jazz Ensemble and used with their permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, formerly known as Studio C. Before that, the closet in our basement that is only slightly bigger and slightly less creepy than the basement restaurants where mob types seem to like to hang out. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. So it's perfect gift for like a wedding or an anniversary or, you know, you just want to send it to the guys at Crime and Sports and say, hey, man. Uh, have some nice wine to wash all that salt out of your mouth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's scared To wash the taste of all those d- out of your mouth. Oh. <laughs> I think you're going to have to cut that one out think, so the sponsor's think... going to enjoy that one, Rebecca. Martha's going to like that. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think you've got, I think you've got Toby some things confused that. there. Even Toby realized that was like, that ain't flying. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet with faster speeds rolling out every day and internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next generation 10G network only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.